Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine, and host of the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to join us online at chickenwhisperer.com. That's www.chickenwhisperer.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Hey, Chicken Whisperer fans. I'm proud to partner with Rita Marie's Chicken Coops. Rita Marie's provides American-made, built-to-order chicken coops with the highest quality and attention to detail. Their mission is to empower Americans with self-sufficiency while making America's backyards beautiful. I have one of their coops. I'm using it for my Bovin's Brown Layers. I went with a Dutch style coop that has a classic barn style and I was able to pick the size, features, and paint and trim colors that I wanted. I was surprised at the overall detail and the quality of construction. Rita Marie's builds the highest quality Amish crafted coops made to your order for an easy hands-off experience. Remember that not all Amish products are created equal. Find your beautiful new coop at largechickencoops.com. That's largechickencoops.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. 
Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. We have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about the Newcastle disease and uh, Newcastle disease outbreak that's going on out in uh, California with my good friend, um, uh, poultry veterinarian. Uh, Dr. Pateski, and um, we've uh, it's really interesting. He's going to be writing an article in the uh, magazine, I think, coming up in summer issue uh, about also uh, insect proteins, uh, uh, insect protein used in the uh, in poultry feed. So that's a hot topic right now. And I wanted to kind of uh, talk about that kind of as a segue. Uh, if you've been following us on Facebook and following some of our Facebook lives, kind of some uh, just a really um, entry-level study that we've done, uh, observation if you want to call it. I wouldn't even necessarily call it research on some uh, some feed that was sent to us actually that uh, we've been doing this over about six weeks. And when I initially received it, it was very interesting. It, it Basically, they sent me three bags. They sent me a two-pound bag of some um, uh, black soldier fly larva. They sent me a 10-pound bag of their scratch. I think it was called sustainable scratch. And they sent me a 10-pound bag of what they're marketing as a complete feed, 18% protein complete layer feed um, with pumpkin, I think it said on there. And it, and it basically, when you look at it, it looks just like their scratch, scratch, but it had additional added little pellets in it. And, um, you know, I, I've seen this before. I've seen this approach before. And um, I, I reached out to them before I even did any kind of trials, and I said, hey, 
Um, what I assume is going to happen just from past experience is that these chickens and, and videos we've done in the past where I've actually sprinkled laying pellets on the ground, uh, called the chickens over and they started eating the laying pellets and then I sprinkled a small layer of scratch on top and they eat all the scratch and walk away and they leave the laying pellets. We've done extensive uh, reviews on this. Um, and so I told them what I assumed that was going to be happening. Uh, with this trial, and sure enough, the first test we did was more like delivering it as a treat. Uh, we put about an inch of this uh, laying feed, again, scratch with a few pellets in it, uh, into a nine or 10 inch round kind of a dog bowl, if you will. And I took it out to the pasture and I set it down and called the chickens over and they ate all the scratch grains and left the pellets. So that was kind of a just a basically delivering it. And that was about a 10, 15 minute period. All this is on video. You can go back and watch it so you don't have to take my word for it. You can see it with your own two eyes. Um, and then the next one we did, we took the remainder, the remainder of that bag and we put it into their feeder, the regular feeder that's in their coop that they're used to, nothing was new, uh, and I added it into their feeder and uh, for 24 hours. And we went back and we documented that Facebook live video so you can see it with your own two eyes. They ate all the scratch grains and left the pellets behind. And so after that, I reached out to them, you know, told them about what, what our findings were. And I said, I'd really like to do one more test to see if I put, if you can send me one more 10-pound bag, I will, again, once they're done with their Kalmbach Feeds Nutritionally Balanced Pellets, uh, I will put it, you know, once they're done with that, uh, I will go ahead and put that 10-pound bag into their feeder, and I will leave it until it's all gone, or we'll see what happens. Uh, three days, four days, whatever it takes. I think there's 15 or 16 birds in that particular coop. And so I did that. I put the 10-pound bag into their regular feeder, and uh, 24 hours later, we did a live video, and we showed where, again, um, they were eating all the scratch grains and then leaving the pellets behind. 48 hours later, same thing. They were eating all the scratch grains, and they were leaving the pellets behind. I put the camera down the tube, it's a tube feeder, and showed the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the feed that they would, did not have access to up in, in the, in the uh, tube. And you could see it was all these scratch grains and seeds and things like that with some pellets mixed in. But when you looked at the, the trough, the tray around that tube and the tube feeder, it was like uh, mostly, I would say 90% of the pellets were left over. And I was going to actually let this study run out uh, until um, the, the pellets were gone. But I went out there, I think, the morning of day three. Uh, and what I noticed, and all this is on video, you can see it and follow along. It's all over my Facebook page. It's all saved. You can scroll down and look at all of them in sequence. Um, I went out there the next day. I opened up the coop that morning, and I noticed that the chickens ran out of that coop ran next door to the coop next to that one, went into that coop, which is unheard of. I've never seen that done here. And they started gathering around their feeder in that coop, which had the Kalmbach pellets on it. I looked into their feeder. They were still refusing to eat, or it didn't appear they had eaten much more, if anything, of the scratch or of the pellets that were left in that feeder. And first time in the history of this particular flock ever happening, when I went to gather eggs, there were two eggs that were broken open and the inner parts were eaten the yolk and, and, and the albumin. So immediately I said, that, that, I'm done. I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I love doing the research here and I love sharing my research with you guys, but I'm done. If they're going to, if this feed that they're feeding, if they're not, obviously they're not getting something. Obviously they don't like it. They, they, they ate all the scratch grains, left the pellets behind. They weren't eating the pellets because when they I let them out of the coop, again, a half of them went into the coop next door and started eating in that coop, the, the Kalmbach layer pellets. Uh, and then the, and then I got, I saw two eggs that had, were, were cracked open and, and were eaten and that's never happened in the history of that flock and this is the only 
trial, the only flock I've done this trial with. All the other three or four coops we have, they're just, we're not doing the test there. We wanted to make sure we stayed with the same flock. So um, this is not a push for Kambach feeds, and this is not a, a, a negative on the food, uh, on, the, on the feed that we're feeding, that we're doing our testing, but it's just showing you guys that over the course of a long time, we've done stuff like this all the time trying to share with folks about you know scratch grains and how they're nutritionally void and i'd wish you just you know and many poultry nutritionists back me up on this you know just we would probably prefer you'd never buy scratch grains ever ever again uh and, and then my big question is and i need to send these results to a poultry nutritionist that if 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 the chickens are eating the scratch grains on Monday and Tuesday, and then maybe Wednesday or Thursday they finish it up because that's all they have. You know, I uh, just have uh, these pellets here in my feeder, and I'm hungry. I guess I better just eat them. And they finally eat the pellets because that's all that's being given to them. Would that still be considered a complete feed? Even though it's labeled as a complete feed, we know the pellet, the, the calcium, the, the, the nutrition, the vitamins, the minerals, the amino acids, all that is in that pellet. It's not in the scratch. Um, and so if it'd be, I look at it like if I give my child, who's six and eight years old now, if I give them Skittles on Monday and Skittles on Tuesday and they eat broccoli on Wednesday, and then I gave them Skittles on Thursday and Skittles on Friday and they eat broccoli on Saturday, would that not be the kind of the same principle of these chickens eating scratch on Monday, scratch on Tuesday, and then finally on Wednesday eating these pellets that have the nutrition in them to make this a complete feed? Uh, is that healthy? Is that still really considered giving them a complete feed if they're not eating nothing but scratch for the first two days and how that would affect their health and their laying and egg? shell quality because they're not they're not only getting calcium from that pellet every third day when they finally eat them because all the scratch is gone and that's all that's left how is that healthy for the bird or, or worthwhile for the bird so all these questions come up and, and again as we've done three of these tests and there's really one more that we could do and i'm going to reach out to them to see because i think this is very pertinent as well um, i've got 40 bovins brown pullets that are out on a tractor right now in the back pasture and they will be going. Uh, they will be. We'll be transferring them over from their good old uh, starter feed, their combox starter feed, over to a layer feed here in about. Let's see. Let's just say eight weeks, maybe. I think they're about. So no, 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 not even that long. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just say in eight weeks, uh, six to eight weeks, they'll be getting transferred over to a layer feed. Now, a great opportunity, a great test, I think, was if we transfer them over to, if, if we stop when it's time, six, somewhere between 16 and 18 weeks, when it's time to transfer them over to a layer feed, if we then just gave them this, this feed um, with the scratch, basically with the pellets mixed in, how they would adapt to this and eat it because they wouldn't know any different. They wouldn't know any better. Uh, there were, we would be basically taking away at 16 to 18 weeks their, their, their starter and then giving them this layer feed, which again is just scratch with some pellets in it, to see how they adapt to it, how they eat it. And, and, and um, if they would again just eat the scratch first and then eventually eat the pellets or they would eat it as a combination feed and eat them all just because they hadn't seen pellets before and they haven't seen you know layers this is a different diet for them and if it, pre it was presented, presented to them that way if they would actually if, if we would see a difference between the established birds and the layers that are used to just a pellet and then changing up their feed 
um, versus having uh, having giving this feed for the first time to these layers for the first time, and they've never seen layer feed before, and going that route, if we would see a different outcome, and they would eat it uh, as, as a whole instead of just eating the – and then if they don't, and they eat scratch grains on Monday and Tuesday, and then finally eat the pellets Wednesday, again, is that a nutritionally balanced feed if I give my kids Skittles Monday and Tuesday? And you know what? They make up for it for eating broccoli on Wednesday. I don't know if that's great. I don't know if that's healthy. I'm not a poultry nutritionist, but I do love doing these studies on the farm, um, and we do all kinds of products studies and feed studies and stuff and, and I love it it's exciting y'all seem to like it when you're watching the live uh, y'all tune in and think hey this is awesome thanks for sharing so I know we're doing something right there um, but that I just wanted to kind of segue into that uh, with Dr. Pateski's article being uh, the uh, insect protein using it as a uh, um, uh, in, in, in poultry feed because uh, we've talked about that on the show and in the magazine and stuff a little bit before about how the FDA just approved that here in the US using insect protein in, in poultry feed so that's going to be an exciting article. But today, again, uh, pretty alarming. Uh, we'll be talking and getting educated by Dr. Pateski on um, the uh, uh, Newcastle disease, viral Newcastle disease that's still taking place out in California. And, and, and recently, I'd say in the last 30 days, there's been more, uh, I don't know what to call it, uprising, uh, more concern, more dramatic video on, 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 the, on the Facebook groups. There's now a new, another Facebook group titled, you know, Save Our Birds. Um, they're now uh, everybody's kind of questioning. It's become, it's become the, the, a big drama issue. Um, uh, and, and Dr. Um, Pateski is going to explain, I think, all this because he's, he's out there in California. I'm way over here on the opposite side of the, the country in, in, in Atlanta area. So we just get information from, from where we can get it, basically, and he's knee-deep in it out there. Um, and so, you know, Again, these you don't know what to believe when people are, their emotions are involved, and then you you've got put, you know claiming oh they're well, they're killing my 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 healthy birds or right? just because my birds are healthy and they've tested negative but they're in the kill zone now that they're going to actually come and kill my birds and so so it's it's it man I'm, I'm it's it's crazy to see the emotions and and you try to walk that fine line saying okay this is a really bad disease and this and this is. You know, is it's crazy what's going on, and many of you are seeing that. I know I've sent Dr. Pateski some video of this that was done not too long ago, so I'm really concerned and excited about this show talking about the Newcastle disease. Let me go ahead and get over here to our switchboard, and uh, we will bring Dr. Pateski on, and he can make some, some sense of this, some light of this, uh, kind of tell us about the disease and what makes it so virulent, what makes it such a concern, what makes it such a, I don't want to say panic, there's already enough of that going on, um, such a critical issue uh, because everybody has their two cents worth. Oh, this is uh, talking about the commercial sector or maybe even the, um, the game bird sector or the just the, the pet chickens or the show chickens, and there's so many people involved. And then you've got the exotics like the parrots and the macaws and the uh, African greys and that stuff. I don't know if they've gotten into that like they did back in 2003. With, with with calling those birds, or right now they're just focusing on poultry, and then you know, hey, uh, the, the what they're calling in, in the social media, you know, the, the kill zones. Well, my birds are healthy. I just had them tested. They tested negative, but guess what? They're coming to to call those because uh, another flock was tested positive um, a half a mile down the road or something like that. So maybe, maybe uh, Dr. Podesky can make some sense of this, and we can um, 
we can we can kind of make again make some sense of this and see what's exactly going on and learn more about the the disease itself and what what makes it such a, a, a big issue. So, uh, Dr. Pateski, thank you very much for uh, coming on today. Uh, we're we're putting all of our education, I guess, in, in your hands to try to explain this to us and tell us. I guess I guess you would start off by telling telling us all about the disease, how it affects the bird, and, and the risks, and 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 uh, how you know the contagious. Uh, how contagious it is, things like that, the the, the mortality, mortality and morbidity rate, and all of that stuff, and then and then what what we're seeing and how it's progressed now to you know uh, to what we're seeing online and and how that's kind of blown up. So thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Andy. And um, it's a really important topic, and I know a lot of people are um, you know really care about. Um, what's going on in California because uh, the reality is is that um, because of the way that backyard bird movements occur, um, it, it, it can certainly spread and has spread to other states, uh, including mm-hmm. uh, Utah and um, I believe Nevada and then uh, up into, um, into, into Northern California. But it's still primarily focused in Southern California right now with uh, um, our most recent um, kind of case in Riverside County. So you can actually go on to USDA's Uh website and they'll have for you a a list of um, every positive case in uh, backyard and what they call exhibition uh, flocks, which Uh are these kind of fighting flocks that are um, somewhat common um, in some parts Uh of the United States, including Southern California. Um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to mention just on a, unfortunately, kind of lighter note, um, you know, r- right now in California, we're kind of having our chicken apocalypse right now. So we've got this uh, virulent Newcastle disease that we're dealing with, um, and we're also uh-huh. dealing with a, a low pathogenic avian influenza um, that uh-huh, was uh-huh. noticed in a flock, commercial um, duck breeder flock in Monterey County, California, uh, recently. Uh-huh. Um that was not as surprising in the sense that the 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 type of virus that was found there is um thought to be endemic in um some of the waterfowl um in that uh-huh. in that geography in California uh, most of our waterfowl now are heading back north uh, as part of their kind of seasonal cycle so uh, up to their mm-hmm. uh breeding locations in Canada and uh and further in, in in those locations but i just wanted to mention that Unfortunately, we're not just dealing with uh, Newcastle disease when it comes to avian diseases in, in California, but we're also dealing um, with this uh, influenza, um, which uh, hopefully is just in a somewhat anomalous event. Usually our, our avian influenza season is, is kind of passing for the most part, in part because we um, are expecting, and all, most of the birds that are, uh, most of the waterfowl and shorebirds that are primarily affected on carriers of influenza like i said are moving um back north some of them are um some of them do stay in california um but but uh, we literally have uh, close to eight million additional waterfowl in the central valley of california in the uh post winter springtime um so i read wanted to doc, I, oh, go ahead. I had I had read, and uh, in, in, in I think it was Poultry Today or Watt Poultry or something, that it was uh, the the uh, low path uh, AI was found in um, I don't know if it was a barn or a couple of barns of uh, about total of 9,500. I think it was breeder birds, uh, and, and at least that's what was being reported that I saw last week. And so my question, and I haven't really asked 
anybody yet, I guess, maybe one or two people, and they weren't sure. Um, but the fact that it was low pass, um, uh, we've talked about the difference in all that and high pass and whatnot, but uh, would if it was found in a breeding flock of 9,500 birds, uh, and you may have heard the, the outcome, uh, and for the fact that it was low pass, is, does that mean this farm is going to have to I mean, did they – are all 9,500, were they cold? Is this something that let's, – let's wait and see what happens with the low path? Or, or have you heard that those – I mean, that would be pretty tragic for this for this business that 9,500 of their breeder flocks are now cold. Um, I mean, we get it. We, we you know, we get, the, we get the issue of why and we talked about the disease and whatnot. But have you heard if those – or that, that would probably warrant the low path, but still 9,500 of these would be put down or cold? I, I don't know for a fact, but I would suspect, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they were most likely cold. And, and the reason is, right. um, so first of all, I'm a, I'm a veterinarian and an epidemiologist, so these are right. really uh-huh. important to understand why, um, not mm-hmm. just in Newcastle, but in in several diseases, why, unfortunately, depopulation is, um, in many cases, the most humane um, option. So this was a low path mm-hmm. influenza, um, but the type of influenza, it's what we call an H5 low path. The mm-hmm. H5 type or subtype can um, mutate into a H5 mm-hmm. uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza. Mm-hmm. When those, mm-hmm. when that happens, now we're dealing with a much more um, virulent version of the virus. Um, and the uh-huh, reality uh-huh. is is um, because of lack of biosecurity or just because of the natural um, ecology of the virus, it can, it can spread uh-huh. um, and cause a much more significant outbreak. Um, literally, instead of thousands of birds now, now you're dealing with hundreds of thousands, even millions, millions of birds if that spreads. So, so the, the logic has typically been, um, and I know this is frustrating for people. I'm a veterinarian. I love animals. That's why I became sure. a vet. Um, but the logic has, has typically been, and I agree with this, has typically been that depopulation mm-hmm. is the best way to control these types of outbreaks. Now, we don't do that when it comes to most other diseases. We do that with typically foreign animal diseases because we want to keep them foreign. We want to keep them out of the United States. And viruses cannot replicate inside dead cells. So if we have live birds, um, the amount of virus in the environment increases. And if we have um, poor biosecurity, which even the really good farms that that this is their job to do Mm 24-7, even with really good biosecurity, with that much virus in the environment and pathogenic virus Mm -hmm. in the environment, and the potential for it to spread via workers, via cars, via uh, other wildlife, um, whether it be um, avian and non-avian, rodents and birds and songbirds and all those things, the potential and the risk of that um, is so great that it makes sense from a disease control perspective to be fairly aggressive when it comes to depopulation. And, and we could be talking about influenza, the H5 or H7 type, or we could talk, be talking about the New, Newcastle disease, unfortunately. Um, uh-huh. Newcastle uh-huh. is, is you know, to kind of segue over to that, um, there's so sure. much virus in Southern California right now um, that it is so important right now to reduce the kind of potential for the virus to spread and to find additional kind of islands, if you will, of mm-hmm. of potential where it can not only infect but replicate itself and persist. 
Um, so we're, we're in a very critical stage right now because we are right before summer. Um, and um, if we don't get a handle on this, this is just my opinion, if we don't get a handle on this during the mm-hmm. summer, if we really don't eliminate this, you run the risk of this virus becoming endemic. Um, and if it becomes mm-hmm. endemic, especially in Southern California, where we have so many poultry, um, now you're mm-hmm. dealing with um, a much more challenging scenario of, you know, what what do you do now? I mean, it, the commercial poultry industry there is already doing the things that they're supposed to do with respect is to that- biosecurity mm-hmm. and vaccination. Um, but because of the, that spatial kind of interface, if you will, the, how the close proximity of of birds um, that are backyard or fighting birds that, that have the virus and are using what I would call risky behaviors because they're just moving around just because of the nature of going to shows or because of just a, um, uh, a lack of biosecurity. And that's not making a judgment. That's just, I go to backyard flocks all the time and they don't have <laughs> the resources and the money to, to have, you know, all the things that you would want to have in a perfect world mm-hmm. of biosecurity. And even if you do, um, you know, it, that, that there's no guarantees that um, you can control um, these that, kind of diseases, even in the best of circumstances. So that, um, from from my brain being kind of at the, at the lay level of, of uh, things that pop in my head when you're talking about this. So it's kind of like um, when you're – describing that and about, you know, the calling part of it. It's kind of you're, you're eliminating, um, uh, I don't know what pops in my head, you're kind of eliminating the food that this this disease is, which would be the chickens, basically, is the disease. So if, uh, ah, so much things going through my mind. So I guess that that's, when you're looking at, if you have, if you have, if you draw a circle and, okay, here's where this flock tested positive, and we've got these flocks within a certain amount of area or, or miles or feet or whatever it may be from this flock, then um, my understanding is if they're, and I don't know how they categorize this, well, we're now, if you're in that area, even if they have tested negative, um, even if you have somewhat good biosecurity, maybe your birds are contained inside or under a run or in, 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 in this barn or whatever with a run, and they're not... Um, they're still, if they're in that area, they're going. They 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 come into that requirement of depopulation. So if the virus is found here in this dot, then we're kind of eliminating, if you will, kind of the the, the opportunity to spread or the food source that this disease is going to be looking. That's probably really bad science, but I'm the way I'm, nope, I'm kind no, of picturing that, that. this and, and destroy. You're, you're eliminating that food source or that that opportunity, and is, is that the theory there? That for somebody who may be listening, saying I'm, I'm scared to death, they're going to come and call my birds. Or I'm waiting just for someone in my area to become positive because I know it's an automatic descendants for my birds. That's that's the key. Is we're just eliminating, you know, in that area, all possible risks. I guess of it spread. You're eliminating that food source, if you will, from this particular disease that's looking for that food would, would be those chickens. So we're just going to yep. eliminate that. It, uh, that's really vague, probably a bad example, but is that, that the, is that the premise of doing that? Having that kill yep. zone, I guess they call it. I, I don't know. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So there's, there's different zones okay. and I'm not going to go into the definition of each zone, but the the reality is, right, is that right. once, once you have Newcastle introduced into avian populations, domestic avian populations, um, the, the subsequent spread then is, is, is typically in an urban 
backyard environment is bird-to-bird contact uh-huh. or through contact uh-huh. with contaminated people or feed or equipment. Um, so the reality is we, we need to we need to break those contact chains. Um, and, you know, the best way that we know how to do that is to deep is to do two things primarily well three things primarily one is to is to quarantine so right now in southern california in uh all of los angeles county and in big chunks of riverside and san bernardino county those are the surrounding counties of los angeles in the south and east um in those Uh counties there are no um um poultry movements that are allowed right now um, because that th- that that type of quarantine is essential because these types of movements facilitate that bird to bird contact, and that's exactly what we're trying to reduce right now. So that that's one way of trying to kind of eliminate uh, the potential for the virus to spread. Um, the other way to do that is like we were talking about is 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 depopulating the birds, euthanizing birds. Um, as a veterinarian, I acknowledge that that is not my favorite thing to do. It is no veterinarian's favorite thing to do. And, and the CDFA uh-huh, and uh-huh. USDA vets, they're veterinarians too. And I would, I would imagine that it's not their favorite thing to do either. But in order to stomp out this virus, the only, the most effective way that we need to, that we know how to do that is to, we can eradicate the virus if we depopulate birds that are in high risk areas. So, um, if they are birds that are what we would call connected or epidemiologically linked with diseased birds, and that can just include being on the same block as diseased birds, uh-huh. um, those uh-huh. those those neighborhoods, unfortunately, um, the birds in those neighborhoods need to be, even if they were previously tested negative, those birds um, need to be depopulated um, because if we if we can depopulate them. The idea is, and we're reducing the potential for the virus to persist in the environment over the summer and reinfect new birds. The more birds that we have there, the more potential we have for virus to persist. And there's so much virus right now in Southern California um, that we need to re- we need to go through every single kind of mechanism that we have, whether that's quarantine or whether that's depopulation, to reduce the amount of virus in the, envi- in, the, in, the, in, the, in the environment. And the third thing is, and I think we all know this because people on the, that are listening to this know this, is education. It is really, really hard to explain to people why, if their birds are looking, if their birds are healthy, why we need to depopulate their birds. And, and the unfortunate uh-huh. reality right. is that if you are in the same, if you are epidemiologically linked to diseased birds, then those birds are considered a risk. Whether they're a risk now, whether they're a risk later, is not really relevant with respect to stomping out and eliminating this disease. So we don't have to deal with it again. Um, and this has been a if, problem if in Southern say, California. This is our this is our third outbreak <laughs> of virulent Newcastle disease in the last 50 years. The rest of North America has not had any of this. So this is something that we're going to have to deal with for a long time to come. We have a very rich history of backyard poultry in in Southern California. And some of this is due to, you know, some of the practices that occur in Southern California, which for Uh some cultures are are very common, including um, some of the fighting birds uh, activities that Uh go on. Uh And and the reality is that the risky behavior uh, for those folks is just that they're they're moving the bird so consistently and so constantly. And that bird to bird contact is, is where the disease can really spread. 
If I this, this is an interesting question. So if let's say that there was a flock in a neighborhood, and we'll we'll kind of exclude the the um, the uh, the fighting aspect of it and the cultural part of it, but let's say it's just a, a, a neighborhood in you know Riverside, Southern California. I'm not familiar with the area, and and the flock was was deemed positive there. Um, how at this point? Um, typical neighborhood backyard pet flock. Um, did they at this point are they even focused on how that flock was infected? Or I know I, we totally understand the biosecurity. You know, could could that be? Do they suspect this could be wild bird? Or do they think maybe it's because you just went to the same feed store someone else walked into and used the same pair of boots they just cleaned out the coop? Or could it be? Uh, are, are they? Do they focus? Oh, I mean, sure, that's got to be a part of the focus to say, okay, how how did my flock in this gated community here in this nice neighborhood of my pet chickens, how did how did how did they get this? And I'm I'm just trying to think a flyover. Absolutely, got bird feeders and they're, you know, so that that's I guess if I lived there, that's what I would be wondering, especially if I had decent biosecurity. You know, I'm wearing my separate boots to the feed store and, and I have a closed flock. Nobody comes here. No one, my birds are contained. I think I do pretty good biosecurity. How, how in the world did my birds get this? And, and uh, if we just took say the next, next uh, positive case, what, um, how, how uh, we know that the, I think the ones, the one that was up in Utah, if it was, was like birds were put in a car and drove up there. And then they, I guess mm-hmm. they test positive, you know, up there, but like the, the ones in that area, how, 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 how is this spreading? Do they think it's, because we know people's a big, when we talk about biosecurity all the time, do they think it's people or wild birds or is this still, we think it's a combination of all these things that could, are, are doing it, not just could. Yeah, I think, I think it's a it's a great question. I think that first of all, to, to answer your first question, um, absolutely. Not only are these folks concerned about um, stomping out the disease um, and um, doing the, enforcing the quarantine and depopulating in these risky neighborhoods, but they're very concerned about how the virus is moving epidemiologically. So this is where you do, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of kind of put your sleuth hat on and you're giving the equivalent yeah. of surveys and questionnaires to people to try to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what their activities were. So you can understand um, where the virus is coming and going. If you can do that, and that's kind of you know, the stuff that, that our lab does, if you can kind of model, if you can statistically model and predict with a you know high probability, not with certainty, where the virus is going next uh-huh, based uh-huh. upon past behavior, that's the holy grail. Um, and that's the kind of stuff right. where, where we, we get involved because we try to understand Six. and predict yeah. how these movements occur. Now, to your other point, um, absolutely, you know, birds. So that would be so Newcastle. That would oh, sorry, be the, the, no. That question would be like, okay, so uh, six out of ten people we just interviewed said they visited this feed store in the last two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. That that would be that connect that they try to make uh, possibly. Um, I'm guessing. Are they? Uh, who knows what? It, so that may just be example. I don't. I can think of others, but that. So that. They are obviously concerned about that, and that would be kind of one of the detective questions was, you know, asking those questions. What feed store do you visit? When was the last time you visited there? Then find out how many of these most current outbreaks visited that particular, say, feed store. Uh, and mm-hmm. did, did you wear the boots there that you wore in your backyard? You wear the same boots. So I guess, you know, trying to figure out how it's being being spread. Now, this this is a loaded question, and it's not fair. Me being even the national spokesperson for the biosecurity program now for 10 years, um, but i got to ask it. So 
show um, even if it was deemed by the, by the USDA um, people boots on the ground there uh, that this uh, you know I can I can hear it now so you know we we understand and we can see firsthand that you have a pretty good maybe even a very good biosecurity program you've implemented in your backyard but unfortunately since you are now in this zone or down in your neighborhood there's been a positive under our protocol we still have to depopulate your birds so so you can see where i'm going with this and and, and even though i'm again i'm national spokesperson for them and i push biosecurity you know we all do as i can see somebody sitting there with their pet birds thinking why even bother? I mean, I'm not, that, that's loaded, and this is totally crazy for me to say this, but, like, if my birds, you, you know me, and we have a long history, uh, you know, I, I've done all this for to no avail. I did all this like I was supposed to do, and that's just life, because that can, that can transfer over to just about any topic. I've done everything I thought I was supposed to do, and good, and you even admit I have a pretty good biosecurity program, but it's just, it's, it, I guess it's just it's the way it is. Now I have to, my birds are going to be depopulated. All this was for null. All this was for moot. Mm-hmm. That's my first point. My second point is, and, and I try to focus how would I feel, honestly, if it was me, and I, I, don't, I don't have any pet chickens. I've got a, almost 100 chickens here, but I wouldn't call them pets. I care about them. I treat them great, and, but they wouldn't be pets. My daughter might disagree a little bit, but probably not. So, but as, as a pet, and I've owned pet chickens in the past. You know, my wife named them, and we weren't, they weren't production birds. But if, um, how I would feel if, if the way I would try to maybe look at it in my head, too, too, kind of interesting things I just mentioned was that, you know, I'm kind of, let's take one for the team. Okay. If, if calling my birds means I have a very close friend who lives five miles from me and he loves his chickens, you know, would the, you know, do I look at it like, um, or is this a valid point to say, okay, I'm doing this for the better good. I'm doing this. I'm taking one for the team. I hate this. It's going to destroy me. These are my pet birds. But if it means that my best friend that I go to church with every week and or I'm in Boy Scouts with lives 10 miles away, if somehow this prevents them from going through this, you know, d- d- is that a fair way to look at this as well? So the first one is, 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 do you see the folks there that might have good biosecurity? That may be a stretch because um, I'm in the backyard realm too. Uh, you know that that now they feel like it's all for it's all for nothing in this case anyway. But then also, is it valid point? Is that a, is that an appropriate way to think too? Is I'm going to take one for the team here. I don't like it. I'm sad. But at the same time, if it prevents maybe my best friend up the road who has show chickens or pet chickens, is that is that we'll separate those. So is that a, is that a probably a pertinent way to look at it for me? I try to think about how I would feel, and maybe I would feel like you know what I don't like this. I hate that my birds are going to be called all hundred of them. But if it may prevent my best friend from church not having to do his because we're nipping this in the bud, it may help me a little bit justify it or help my feelings a little bit. Does that make sense? Let's take that one first. That may be easier. Is that a way yep, to no, look at I'll, this if, if you're both? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the, the, the latter one first. So, so in my mind, yeah. you know, it's, 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 whether you want to call it taking one for the team or whether you want to call it being responsible, yeah. I, I agree with that philosophically. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. you know, like many of us who have kids, and obviously we're all our parents might have told us at some point, sometimes you know you're doing the hardest thing. Uh, you, sometimes you know you're doing the right thing when it's the hardest thing to do. Right. Um, and uh, this is definitely one of those the, one of those scenarios where um, it mm-hmm. is about mm-hmm. being responsible. And and from my perspective, um, and I'm just going to say it. These are just my words. So if someone wants to get mad at me, they can certainly sure, be upset. Sure. But I think there is a selfishness when you just think about your own birds. 
um, because now we're trying to think about our community and we're trying to think about our region and our state. And uh, the reality is this disease is, is, is spread beyond our state now. And um, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, it's, it's incumbent on all of us um, to do the best we can. Now, under normal conditions, that involves biosecurity, vaccination, uh, good communication uh-huh. with our neighbors, all of those things. And there are no guarantees. I totally agree with that. That is, you know, the reality is I, I've yeah. seen the photographs of, of places where they are doing everything right, but catty corner mm-hmm. from them, uh, literally, you know, a couple hundred feet is someone that is not doing the mm-hmm. right things. And that mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. unfortunately, is, is caught in that in that reality, and, and especially in these urban environments, right. and especially in Southern California, where, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat unique in that you typically, at least from my experience, you typically don't have commercial you know, half million layer farms that are down the road mm-hmm. from, you know, a huge amount of backyard birds that are all raised under completely mm-hmm. different conditions for different uses mm-hmm. and are moving around, um, you know, pretty routinely. I mean, those are, those are, that is, that is high risk. So um, that, that spatial reality of, you know, kind of urban and rural kind of um, mashing together is, um, is something that, um you know, every once in a while, three times in 50 years, we're, we're going to have to deal with, and it's going to happen again. And, you know, technology makes uh, our lives more complicated in some ways. And, and I would suggest that we're probably having more backyard movements than we did 30, 40, 50 years ago, even 10 years ago. And I think we're going to have even, we're going to continue to have more of them. We have birds that are moving in and out, not just from Mexico um, and not just from Latin America, but from other parts of the world uh-huh. that are illegally being moved into um, into California because there's a market for them. And, you know, most of the time uh-huh. that's that's OK. But the reality is this is a game of probability. And that's what epidemiologists study. We study probability and you might be doing the right thing. Um, but there's still just because you're doing the right thing does not give you 100 um, percent immunity. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a challenge. There's there is definitely an unfairness um, to some of this, um, can, and I get that. And I see yeah, the language that people use on social media, and I understand the frustration. Right. But I hope they at least appreciate right. the the reality of the situation and how this is, you know, something that I think is really important for us from a responsibility perspective to kind of acknowledge at least. Doesn't mean we have to like it, but we have to at least acknowledge the reality of what these people are doing and and why they're doing it. That's exactly why I was I was kind of going down this path a little bit uh, here at the beginning because the emotions of all these different folks. Can you imagine? And, and you you may have a great relationship with the state vet out there in California. I I, I would not want to be the state vet in California right now <laughs> uh, by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Me neither. Because not only not only are, is 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 they're they're covered up with the the but now all of a sudden <laughs> you get the phone call that um we have a uh, a positive uh, low path avian influenza at the, you know now on top of all this other <laughs> you've got the state vet that get this phone call that hey we have low path now in the state as well come over here and you know we got to deal with this and uh, there, there's no way and then you've got all this emotion and you talk about you know the moving of the birds um, and you want to classify responsible and irresponsible when now you've got a lot of folks let's face it a lot of folks now that are out there that are saying you know, move your birds, hide your birds, hide them in the garage, move them here, 
Move them there so they can't find them. I mean, you've seen all that. This is no secret. I'm not, you know, saying anything that anybody else hadn't seen on social media. Uh, and, it, and it's from that, I think, that, that fear that what minor tested positive and, you know, because now you actively have people saying on social media in mass, move them, hide them, put them in the garage, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I guess I don't, I don't know another way to categorize that other than just very risky, irresponsible behavior. Um, regardless of how much you love your birds. I mean, am I wrong there? I, I think, you know, for now, for them to say hide them and move them and whatever when we're trying to control this, it's not going to help matters any, that's for sure. Nope, the only the only place you're wrong is our state vet is a she, not a he. And um, But other than that, I agree with everything you said. And, and the one thing I, I will add um, about um, Dr. Jones is that She's not only, and I'm biased, but she's not only, you know, a veterinarian. Um, she's very, she's very thoughtful, and and I think most importantly, she's a good scientist. So, this is about trying to save birds. This is not about, you know, some conspiracy or anything like that. I'm I'm a veterinarian. This is about trying to save animals, um, and this is the best way we know how to. If people have want to look at the literature and they want to, you know, email or call and give us other ways to do this, then I'm certainly all ears for that. But um, this is this is really about trying to – this is looking toward the future and trying to, 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 to prevent these things from happening again. And I think, you know, where, where I'm really interested in is how can we prevent this from happening once we get back to our – having this disease no longer in Southern California, hopefully this summer – um, or sooner. I, I'm really keen on like how can we, what can we do, from an education perspective, from an outreach perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, what what kind of sociologists and anthropologists and epidemiologists? What are what are the things that we're not doing? Because this is this is happening too much right now, and and I, I understand people's frustration, and I think there is a real opportunity here to um, to try some new ideas. I think that the worst thing we can do, as I say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, need, we need new ideas. Um, we need people to communicate better with um, different members of you know, a very diverse community down there. Um, on my end, we need you know, better collaboration, I think, with um, a lot of the folks down there. Um, and we also need um, – you know, there's a lot of new ideas floating around on how best to engage people um, on social media to understand what their frustrations are so we can respond to that as, as you know, scientifically mm -hmm. and appropriately as possible. And I think there's this is definitely – I think we have to see this as an opportunity and a, and a kind of reality check. We can't just come in every time this happens and then you know, deal with it from this perspective because this is not how we want to kind of proceed next year or the year after or 10 years or 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen again if we don't change mm -hmm. things. Exactly. Let me go to commercial break. It's about 10 till the hour, and then we'll come back. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of segue into the next one, and that is um, – and we can answer it when we come back from the commercial. Um, you talk about the, the – I, I didn't hear, know about the third outbreak. I knew the one in two, 2003 was huge. The 4.1 million, I think, birds, including, I think, like parrots and things were, were depopulated. I don't know if we've gotten to that point with this one, but my question is um, – why you think we'll answer it after the break why you think this has been kind of concentrated in uh, um california and why we hadn't seen which is a good thing don't get me wrong why we haven't seen it really 
being taken by the wild birds, whether it's going up the coast into, I guess, whether it be Washington and Oregon and that area, or maybe even coming back out this way. I know there's the the, the flyways, and they're pretty particular. But um, I guess when we come back, I'll give you some time to think about that, why we seem to be concentrated there, and then why we haven't seen it really spread due to the wild bird population if um, – if that's a possibility. So folks, we'll uh, be back in just a second. We're talking uh, with poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. Great show. And hopefully I'm asking the tough questions because I know that a lot of y'all have tough questions. And I'm trying to be kind of your voice, if you will, um, even as the national spokesperson for biosecurity for birds and been preaching that for years and years and the importance of that. I'm just trying to think how you think if you've got birds and you're in the area or you're not in the area and you're concerned if, if it comes your way or whatever the case may be. So uh, hopefully I'm uh, doing a good job and uh, letting your voice uh, and your questions be asked on, on the show. We will be back here in uh, just a few minutes, and we've got to go and uh, do a sponsor break. Again, talking with poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. We're talking about the uh, Newcastle disease. We'll return right after this short break. Please stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 back. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. 
Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer. We're talking with uh, poultry veterinarian uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. We're talking about the uh, Newcastle disease and the outbreak that's going on out there, and uh, we have interesting questions. But um, uh, if you would, let me bring him back on here. If you'll just kind of tell us your theory on, uh, again, from from me looking out from the East Coast, the issue of I wonder why this this is kind of concentrated there, and then why we haven't seen it, which is a great thing. Uh, not many other places do to say the wild birds uh, spreading uh, this disease, which I'm assuming that they can. And then after that, if you'll get into maybe the uh, just kind of a, about the disease, I know you probably want to talk about that anyway. And I got off on this kind of this other path. Maybe you weren't planning to go down, but um, I wanted to be kind of devil's advocate a little bit for for our listeners. But if you can tell us kind of the wild bird issue, my, why we hadn't seen that, thank goodness. And then um, maybe just a little bit about the, the disease and the history of it. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so um, one question I'll answer first is, you know, why why Southern sure. California? Um, and mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously all kinds of ideas on that. Um, there have been some estimates um, that in um, some parts of Los Angeles, they're in a 10 kilometer zone. There may be as many as 4,000 backyard flocks in an urban area. Um, so imagine in that kind of same 10 kilometer, 4,000 backyard flock, um, sector of an urban city. Also imagine, you know, a lot of diversity, a lot of different uses of those birds, a lot of movements of those birds. And, and it, it doesn't take, you know, epidemiologists to really kind of think about like, wow, what if, you know, just 10% of those backyard flocks are, are doing risky behaviors and zooming and zigging and zagging all over the city with their cars and their boots and their shoes. Right. Um, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, you know, that's, that's um, now we're dealing with 400 backyard flocks that are having really risky behavior. And I mean, that was just a random number, but, but the reality is, is if we th- look at how many um, outbreaks we have right now or how many premises have been identified in Southern California. You have over about 425, I think, at this point um, that, that are risky or that have that they have confirmed uh, VND on. So I, I think when you think it in, in, in terms of, you know, when you try to visualize like those, those patterns and those movements, we don't really know what they look like. We don't know the seasonal fluctuations of them. Um, but, but we know they're, they're complicated and, and no one really understands them. And we also know Southern California is 
very diverse, so there's a lot of language barriers. So I am, you know, unfortunately a typical American. I, I do not speak any other languages. So that that's a challenge on an extension side for someone like myself. Um, I don't speak Hmong. I don't speak Tagalog. I speak Spanish very poorly. Um, so L.A. And, and the parts of L.A. where a lot of these birds are is very diverse. Um, so that's, that's not an additional challenge. Um, and, and whether those people even realize all the resources they have to try to help them, um, whether they be biosecurity or vaccination, that, that's, that's an additional challenge. So I, I think there's a confluence of things. And then there are other realities, which we talked about before, is you have a lot of commercial birds um, that are very in very close um, proximity to this huge urban um, backyard poultry and, and some fighting birds within that mixed in there. Um, that that is a, a kind of a hard thing to, uh, to 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 kind of get to get your your kind of your brain around, uh, but a lot of risk there, and, and I think that's probably what we're dealing with. Um, and I think technology is going to make this even more challenging. If I had to look into my crystal ball um, on the second issue of um, kind of wild birds, um, so yes. Um, um, pigeons um, and other birds. There are in the United States there are virulent strains of um, Newcastle disease in wild pigeons and cormorants. Um, I think for the most part, and, and I'm not an expert in this area, there is um, while while it is acknowledged that um, most birds can be carriers, um, and that um, even certain parrots, um, especially Amazon parrots, can shed uh, Newcastle virus intermittently for a long period of time, uh, over a year. Um, I, for, for, for reasons that I am not 100% sure of, most people believe that birds, wild birds, are not part of the problem as much as biosecurity and human movement. Now, that seems to be the dogma with most avian diseases, that, that if we can really work on cleaning up human behaviors and, and biosecurity specifically, that, that that would probably eliminate a lot of our disease problems. Um, but, but it should be acknowledged, and, and one of the things with biosecurity is, is trying to keep um, wildlife out, including um, other birds. And, and Newcastle is very ubiquitous in the sense that a lot of birds um, are, are, can be carriers. Um, it, it, the list is, is just amazingly long. There's so many species of birds. Every, every time I see someone that says, well, this bird hasn't been proven to carry uh, Newcastle disease, it, to me, I kind of shrug my shoulders because I just think that that paper just hasn't been written yet. Um, because every time you look at the list, it's just so, it's so large and there's so many different species that are, that are included in that list. Um, but it is an interesting question. It's something we've thought about trying to answer. This That's a little harder area of research to do, to start looking at songbirds, yeah. for example, and whether those songbirds are, are – whether we're seeing even just antibodies to those viruses in those songbirds because there's so many different types of paramyxoviruses. So now you start needing to get permits to, to sample um, – for the virus and those birds and, and, you know, you can do this mist netting and all these other things that these uh, uh, clever wildlife biologists do, but, but that starts getting a little expensive and time consuming and challenging. So that, that I, I would say from my perspective, that's not as well studied, but I think the, um, the biosecurity and that um, the, the reality of how this virus is spreading at this point is, is pretty well understood to be kind of primarily related to, 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 to fomites and backyard birds themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, biosecurity, like, like I said, I was devil, devil's advocate earlier, but at the same time, if 
you know, it, it can, we feel like it can prevent obviously a lot of disease. So the more people that um, uh, have a good biosecurity plan, let's say your biosecurity, um, uh, you know, pre prevents maybe an opportunity of the disease coming to your flock because you're providing good biosecurity. Guess what? You, by doing biosecurity, I guess that down the road in a, a, a roundabout way, you just prevented however many flocks around you from being depopulated because you had that good biosecurity plan, whether it's be not wearing your boots to the feed store or not going to this, this show or that show or transporting birds or whatever the case may be. And so you nipped it in the bud, you stopped it. And that means all your neighbors, whether they're doing it or not, you know, whether they choose to do, bi you stopped a lot of your neighbors uh, again. So like you said, taking one for the team, we talked about, or I said that earlier by, by you, being responsible, having that good biosecurity plan, uh, like I said, used being devil, devil's advocate earlier, not necessarily being, oh, I did all this and it was for Noel. No, you, by you doing that good biosecurity and, and, and say nothing happens in your sector, your zone, your area of the county, your city, your neighborhood, you may have prevented that and helped all your other neighbors who have chickens not have to depopulate because you stopped it in the bud, nipped it in the bud because you have a good biosecurity plan. It just takes one. And that one person in your neighborhood that's not having that good biosecurity plan, boom, uh, not necessarily allowed to use the term allowed that disease to come in, but, but the disease came into their flock nonetheless, maybe due to poor biosecurity. Now all these other flocks in the area are affected. So, I, you know, like I said, devil's advocate earlier, I wanted to come back and follow up with that saying, you know, to give another example of no, it's not all null and void. You know, I did this for, for nothing. Um, you, by doing this, um, could prevent not only you, but a lot of neighbors around you, and we're seeing that now from having to depopulate because you stopped it, you nipped it in the bud there by having that good biosecurity plan. Um, so I wanted to come back and just so people knew, because I think people have listened to me long enough and all to know that, that you know, being <laughs> pro-biosecurity and preaching it till we're blue in the face, I wanted to come back and follow up with that. But I just, I wanted to be devil's advocate because I know people are thinking that. I thought I was doing the right thing, and now it didn't help me at all. But there may be uh, 10 other cases for your one where it is working, and there's a lot of people not having to depopulate because that virus was stopped due to good biosecurity. Um, and uh, so I wanted to share that that as well. So we're we're really almost out of time. I can go on. You 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 know your schedule. We were going to talk maybe just a couple of seconds about kind of the disease itself. I don't know if we need to get into that uh, in this show. Kind of where I've taken the show, and I apologize if it's something a little different than you wanted to talk about. But I know it's it's a hot topic right now, and I wanted to calm some fears. I wanted to make some sense of it for our listeners and people who are concerned and worried. Um, and have that helpless feeling that no matter what I do, this could happen, and I'm going to have to call. So why do any of it? And that just doesn't have because as humans, we kind of get in that 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 mindset sometimes about different things or different topics. And I think this can just be an example. Um, any any anything you wanted to share, or or what you know your time schedule here, or one one you wanted to make a valid point, or anything you think that we should share with our folks that are listening. Now that I may have kind of steered us down a different path than you wanted to go, Doc. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. The only the only thing I really just wanted to remind people is that the virus is found in respiratory discharge and feces. Um, it's not a food safety concern, but um, it can um, cause some conjunctivitis in humans, and that's just like a, a mild kind of eye infection. 
um, kind of redness and inflammation and um, of your of your eye. So um, those are just important to realize again from that biosecurity perspective. Um, if you if you do um, you know, if you if you have birds that are sneezing or coughing, um, you know, have nasal discharge, have green watery diarrhea, um, if they're circling, if you see muscle tremors, those are the things that we start worrying about. Doesn't mean um, we are, you know, kind of 100% sure at that point, um, but um, that is uh, something to, to that. Those are the things you want to pay attention to, and you want to get a hold whether you're in California or another state, um, you want to get a hold of your either your veterinarian or you want to contact your um, state department of food and agriculture and have them come out and make an assessment. Let's wrap this up. Three things that I think would be a great wrap-up for the show. Number one, you just kind of hit on it. One is report sick birds. And I think we would be kidding ourselves now to say that for some people that's going to be very difficult. And I mean, they're going to have apprehension, I guess, of the word to do that because of what they're saying. They feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to be an instant death sentence. But again, it goes back to like we've talked about this whole show, taking one for the team, doing the responsible thing, preventing maybe death. And, you know, but, but I mean, you can see where if, if they have that and they're thinking, okay, (laughs) the right thing to do would be to call and report my birds. But guess what? that might mean a death sentence for the other 20 flocks in my neighborhood. You know, if I do that, if I just don't call and my flock dies, maybe it won't spread to them. Now, again, I I hope I'm not doing a disservice to anybody and the the good folks out there because people know me. I've been doing this 11 years. I want to try to ask those questions that I know people are thinking out there. And what would you say, Dr. Poteski, to someone who says, I'm seeing these symptoms, I'm totally scared to call and report this because I know from what I'm seeing that it might mean 20 flocks in my neighborhood now get dispatched where maybe if I just, maybe if my flock dies or I go ahead and secretly call them, maybe they won't have to call theirs and it won't spread any, anywhere else. Do you see what I, is that, what would you say to that person that has those thoughts right now? Cause we want them to report the birds, but at the same time, they may be thinking, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I understand that logic, and I could see why someone might kind of go down that road. The, the two things I would say, first of all, um, when it comes to, like, sneezing and coughing, that just because you have your bird sneezing or coughing does not mean your bird has virulent Newcastle disease. There's a gazillion other things that are probably more likely. Um, so this is where working with your veterinarian is, is a great opportunity for, you know, the, the whole goal is to prevent – that disease from spreading the rest of your flock, let alone your neighbor's flock. And and most likely 99 out of 100 times you're dealing with a disease that, like mycoplasma, that you just want to let it run its course, and for the most part it's it's kind of fine from there. Um, but but you don't so you don't want to just kind of you know kind of go straight to disaster and I think unfortunately people are starting to huh. do that a little um, here right um, and then to kind of just the larger point you know this is is kind of what we we're talking about before you, you know you're doing the right thing when it's the hardest thing to do um, and and mm-hmm. this is where you know it's kind of the, the test of our you know of who we are at some level you know doing the mm-hmm. right thing mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. never easy um, it's always hard but um, you know, those are the, the that's that part right. to me. That's just part of the responsibility part of of owning birds. If we yeah. owned, if we were on a little desert island, um, you know, somewhere, we were the only ones that had our chickens. It, it wouldn't matter, right? Then we don't have to report anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that uh, we're all 
whether we like it or not, we've got neighbors and yeah. our neighbors have neighbors and, and we live in a very interconnected planet. So um, right. the more that we can be responsible, the better we can, the more birds we can save in the long run. And then the other two to wrap up the show was uh, definitely stress. And I, I think I did a pretty good job at this telling you the importance of biosecurity. You yourself with that good biosecurity, even if it's just in your backyard, um, can you know you may nip that in the bud right there in your neighborhood because you had that good biosecurity and you're saving a lot of flocks too. Even if they may not follow suit with good biosecurity, we want everybody to try to do it. Do what you can. Try to implement that good biosecurity because by doing that, it's not a guarantee. You know, obviously guarantee, but you may truly stop this and save lots of flocks around you by having that good biosecurity and nipping that uh, Newcastle or any other type of disease in the bud there, and then and then wrapping it up with vaccination because um, because you see you see that thrown out are, are are the commercial guys vaccinating for this have they all the time or did they just start and is that something as a you know i've got 18 backyard chickens in my backyard they're pets is this something at this point i should think about do not do or is this coming for backyarders as well this vaccine yeah, so that's um, so vaccines are are complicated topic, but I would say in Southern California, right. if you have backyard birds, you should vaccinate. Um, if you're not in Southern California, okay. my general recommendation is focus on biosecurity until further notice. The only thing I don't mm-hmm. like about vaccine, so the good part about vaccine, especially in Southern California right now, it's just reducing the amount of virus that's present there, and that's a huge accomplishment mm-hmm. if we can do that. Um, cause that's one of the things that vaccines, vaccinations do. What I don't like about vaccinations is that I think psychologically people then have a tendency to kind of become lax when it comes to biosecurity. Cause they just mm. assume if their bird's vaccinated mm. that it's protected Good magically point. over every kind of disease or whatever disease they're being um, challenged with. And that's just not true. And then the second um, kind of issue I have with vaccination is that a bird can still be a carrier of disease if they're vaccinated. And, and I worry um, that if you, are, if you uh-huh. go down that route of vaccinating and then bringing your bird wherever you go, um, that if your bird is a carrier, you wouldn't see clinical signs as easily. Um, so I worry about that. And then the third thing I worry about, vaccination is easy. Doing it correctly is hard. Um, and then the vaccines mm-hmm. you have to do every six months if we're going to do live vaccines, which um, there's advantages mm-hmm. to. There's also advantages to killed vaccines, but there's also disadvantages to both. Um, so it, it, vaccinations are, are tricky. I, I think um, sometimes um, people don't always appreciate all the, the kind of tricky quirks of them, um, and they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. biology. So, you know, just like with measles, for example, if you vaccinate 100 people, does that mean that measles vaccine worked in all 100 of them? Absolutely not. I mean, that's just not the way biology works. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we don't always give all the right boosters and we don't do all the right tests to see who the two or three people are that are right. so susceptible to a virus, whether because the vaccine just mm-hmm. didn't take or all these kind of things. So the reality is, is yeah. that I think sometimes people don't think about all those kind of subtleties of vaccination on the whole Vaccines are great. They're effective um, at reducing disease. They're effective at reducing kind of viral loads. But but there are subtleties there that, that get a little complex. And I, and I think sometimes behavior is the most important thing to change. And the vaccines, I, I worry about enabling behaviors that are that are not ideal for controlling disease. 
I woke up, I don't know if you attended or not, if you had some colleagues that attended it. I, I want to say it was last week. Woke up early here on the East Coast. It was 7 a.m. broadcast, but it was a, a webinar. I want to say it may have been by Watt Poultry or Poultry Today, I can't remember, um, about exotic or the Newcastle, virulent Newcastle disease. It lasted about an hour and it was just the typical go-to webinar thing. And um, in, in that particular thing, they talked about, I mean, it, they even got down to the details of the different, the, the, the geo, is it called the genotype of the, the, mm -hmm. um, uh, the outbreak that you've got now. And they, they named it. So the one in California is this genotype or whatever, but they, they were talking about the vaccine and maybe the best vaccine having both, having both the dead and the live um, um, virus in it to be the best, maybe the best fit or the most, to have it be most effective of actually having both dead and live in a vaccine. I think I even mentioned that in the, when I was asking questions. Do you recommend that I hear that correctly, that the, the vaccine or the best vaccine would have both live and uh, dead um, uh the disease or whatever that whatever you call it in there, I forget the name of it. But, but anyway, so it was it was pretty fascinating too. Anything I can do to try to learn and it create helps me kind of ask more important questions and more pertinent questions. But um, it was it was pretty interesting uh, about it. It's had two two um, uh, doctors on that did that, and it was uh, pretty fascinating. It was, it was last week I took that again just to try to help me understand more, to help my fans understand more and listen uh, about it. But I don't think I have any anything else. I think it was a a really good show, and hopefully it it'll it down to earth explain to folks kind of why they're doing what they're doing, why it's important, a little bit about the disease. I played kind of devil's advocate, trying to think of what they would be thinking uh, in, in that situation um, uh, as well. There was one more thing, real quick. You had mentioned um, about it. Someone was talking about it actually. About I don't think it was vaccine. Oh well, I can't remember it, so I'm not going to make something up. I can't can't think what it was, but if I do, I'll email it to you because I was I thought it might be uh, one more thing that was kind of uh, pertinent to what's going on out there. But um, Dr. Potesky, thanks thanks for coming on. I apologize if I went down a different route than you were going to, but one question nope, kind of led perfect. to the next, to the next, to the next. But I I think it ended up being a really good show and probably will help. I think a lot of folks that are are uh, hopefully help uh, dealing with this out there. Um, in, in California, we covered a lot of information about the wild bird issue and biosecurity and things like that. So thanks so much. If you missed any of the show, folks, you can listen to it in its entirety. Probably in about 10 minutes, it'll be put into a podcast, and you can listen from beginning to end. So, uh, Dr. Potesky, thanks for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and insights. That you're out there knowing some things that we may not just not see, and with your uh, vast education and explaining things that we just just don't understand or, or can't comprehend what's what's going on with, with disease. So thanks for doing that for us in a way that we can understand that. You always do a great job of doing that, both with the magazine uh, and in the books and in the uh, uh, on, on the show. So thank you so much. We look forward to having you on again. Uh, next month. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Have a good uh, have a good month. You too. Thank you so much. Alrighty, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully I asked questions that that you had. Hopefully I asked questions that you were thinking of or had heard or seen. And hopefully we kind of cleared up some of this and, and we don't have panic and, and things like that. There's still, I'm sure, and probably a whole another hour of questions that we could ask, uh, which I'm sure Dr. Potesky would be happy to answer. And maybe we do this again next month or a portion of our show next month as these questions come in. Um, and so hopefully me kind of playing devil's advocate, ask some questions again. That, that you had. So I want to thank you very much for tuning in. 
this is all about education, not entertainment. That's all we do. Chicken Whisperer Magazine. It's about education, not entertainment. Um, you can subscribe to the digital edition for free. Dr. Pateski, our guest today, writes an article in every magazine. Dr. Um, um, uh, Dr. Bridget McRae, she writes in every magazine. We have Dr. Zach. Uh, who, who writes in every magazine? We've got it's 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 again it's for education, not entertainment. We don't just have a blogger that's writing an article in our magazine that says, "Hey, this is the way I do it." Right, wrong, fact check, not fact check. So we take really a lot of pride in both this radio show, the magazine, our books. That's why all of my books have been co-authored by a poultry professional, PhD, a doctor of veterinary medicine the whole nine yards, because I want to make sure that I can sleep at night knowing you're getting the right information. That's, again, what you, you can do with the information what you wish. Um, you don't have to like me personally. You don't have to like the way that I deliver the information, but at least I feel the information we're deli delivering um, is correct and valid and science-based, fact-based, study-based information. Um, if you don't like me whatsoever, if you loathe the thought of Andy Schneider, the chicken whisperer, that's fine. I can accept that. But the issue of, of the information that we're sharing, um, and you may not even like the information we're, you're sharing because it doesn't align with what you're doing. It doesn't align with your beliefs. It doesn't align with what, but what you've had success with. And that's fine. If you're doing something and it's working for you, keep doing it. But at least the information we're giving we know is to be true and correct, um, and we think there's great, great value in that. And, and, and Based on compliments we hear from you guys, you value that as well. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to the show. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We'll be back next week. Um, yeah, next week, actually, we're going to be talking with poultry scientist Dr. McRae on the 16th, a week from today. And uh, two weeks ago, she talked about feeders and the different types of feeders we can choose from, the pros and cons. And the 16th, she's going to be talking about waters, waterers, watering systems, uh, nipples and uh, nipple drinkers and, and the cup type of uh, nipple drinkers and different plastic waterers and galvanized waterers and 24-hour and, uh, uh, continuous waters, the whole nine yards. So hopefully you can tune in next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Again, we thank you for tuning in. And remember, you can subscribe totally free. It's not a bait and switch. It's not a scam. It's not a only for a limited time. Chicken Whisperer Magazine at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And you'll just go there and subscribe to the totally free edition, and we'll email it to you four times a year, and you can get articles from our awesome guest today as well, um, poultry veterinarian Dr. Pateski. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Thursday.